Let's go ahead and get started, folks. Father, we thank you for this time that we have together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, as we dive into it, we just ask that you would show us what it is you're trying to get across to us. Lord, that our understanding and our mind would be receptive of what you're trying to say. Lord, that through this we would see the progression of our lives and that each person will be blessed by it and know the direction that they need to go. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Our death. Now, last time, we talked about the death of Jesus. We saw that he was born without sin, and we saw that he was born with no sin in his body. He never made a choice for sin, and he lived a perfect and blameless life. No point in time did he choose to have sin in his life. And this was necessary for us to gain the salvation that we were going to need later on. Well, at that point, we needed it already. The Father and the Holy Spirit left him on the cross. That was the only way that sin could enter in, so that Jesus could become the sin for us. And then he died. Then he died physically, and then he deposited sin in Sheol. Then he was raised to life by the power of the Holy Spirit and the glory of the Father. <clears throat> rose again, deposited his blood at the throne of God, and that was the payment that was made for us. So now we're moving on to our story. We have some choices that we need to make. And most of us have made the first choice. I should say all of us have made the first choice. Everyone here has made the second choice. The third choice is coming. So let's begin. Now because the last time I did this, this slide, everybody was like, that's a chicken egg. Just for Jennifer, I changed it. <laughs> so, woman brings an egg, man brings sperm, and together, they make a baby. Did anyone spot the problem in that last slide? So the problem is that there was no spirit in that picture. So you can make a baby, but if you have no spirit, then all that equals is a dead corpse. Because the spirit is what makes you alive. Absolute best case scenario here, you make an animal. Only God can make a spirit. And man does not have that ability within himself. Religion does not have that ability. Lack of religion, a.k.a. atheism, does not have that ability. And it happens at the moment of conception. So if you change that and add a spirit, all of a sudden, you now have a living, breathing, functional human being. And suddenly we have that life. <clears throat> We're no longer a corpse or an animal, we're alive. And that life that we have inside of us is perfect because God cannot make a dead spirit. So we start out with a living spirit. But we also start out with sin in our body because our body was the, was the product 
of a unison of flesh. Sin in an egg, sin in a sperm, creates sin in the body. So this is where our problem starts. At the moment of birth, our, all of our problems start there. Romans 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. If we go on through 8 and 9, But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the, law, when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Before the law, he was alive. When the law came, sin revived and he died. He had chosen sin and his spirit died. So the sin in the body revived and it revived into your spirit. Hence the death. Go on to 10 and 12. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. And last time we went over this, the word occasion there was the Greek word aforme. It's a place from which a movement or attack is made. It's a base of operation. So sin took occasion from the law and used it as a staging platform to attack and cause you to want and desire the things that are not good for you. And then you choose it, and then you die. So the sin in the body is the problem at the beginning and it brings about the desires that we want. And we have choices to make based on that. And every single one of us has failed to make the right choice. Only Jesus succeeded. And the only reason he was able to succeed was that he had no sin in his body. There was nothing there to influence or motivate him to want the sin. He could see sin around him, he could see what it was doing, and there was nothing in his flesh that made him crave it. There was nothing in his flesh that made him want So as I said, sin causes the emotional desires. Sometimes those emotional desires are tied to the parents' defilement. It's something that you get from them, from the atmosphere, from the environment of being under their authority. Sometimes it's generational. It's come down from your great-grandparents, and you have a proclivity for a certain set of sins. The origin of the sin, the origin of what our influences come from, is not really the issue. It's our choice. At the point of choosing is when we die. And Paul says it best. Sin revived and I died. Romans 7, verse 9 I was once alive without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. He chose it, and that was when he died. And we'll use thou shalt not steal as an example.
because I think all of us can relate to thou shalt not steal. And just to make it easy for everyone, thou shalt not steal even the pen from thy job. Because taking the pen from thy job is theft. It does not belong to you. Having said that, I have never stolen a pen from work. I have always asked permission first. Having said that, I have stolen these M&Ms without permission. <laughs> I thought that's what they were they're there not for. <laughs> <laughs> they're a gift. Don't worry about it. So, stealing. Thou shalt not steal. We knew it was wrong. Okay? Most of us as children at some point have some memory of taking something that we weren't supposed to have. I personally remember a time when my mom said, these cookies are mine, because she couldn't have sugar. They were sugar-free cookies, and back then, sugar-free cookies was a rarity, and they were expensive. And she said, do not eat those. Those are mine. We had cookies we were allowed to have after dinner, but I wanted those cookies. So when she took a nap, guess what the first thing was I did? I snuck into the snack cabinet, and I took the cookies, knowing they were wrong, and not being a stupid child, and knowing there was potential she might figure something out, <laughs> I didn't eat all the cookies. I didn't even eat a lot of the cookies. I had two or three cookies, thinking she wouldn't notice the difference. And then I went and brushed my teeth so that she wouldn't see any chocolate on my teeth. Because I was not a stupid child. Unfortunately, that means I was just too smart for my own good. <laughs> So I knew it was wrong, but I did it anyways, because I wanted the cookies. Instant death. Now, I don't know that that was necessarily the event in my life that brought that instant death in, but that's what is understood as that initial choice for doing wrong, knowing that it was wrong, is when that death happens. That's when the law comes, the commandment comes, and sin revives. So don't keep us in suspense. Did she notice? She never found out. If she ever listens to this episode, she'll give me a phone call, but she never found out. <laughs> so it's at that point that you die in your function to God. You're dead in your relationship to him. You've <laughs> lost access to the heavenly realm and all of its function and all of its power. Your spirit has become tuned to an entirely different set of frequencies, and none of them are good. Even if you're engaged in charity work your whole life, your frequencies are still wrong. <laughs> Ephesians 2, verses 2 through 3. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others." This is who we were. Every person sitting in this room, this is where we were. We lived our lives according to the lusts of the flesh. Whatever its desires were, whatever it wanted, we obeyed. Now, there are obviously some exceptions. If you got really angry and you wanted to kill somebody and you didn't because you know murder is wrong. But there are other people who know it's wrong and still choose it. And having said that, Jesus said... In Matthew, in his Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5, you have heard it said, Thou shalt not commit murder. But I tell you, if you are even angry with your brother, you have already committed murder in your heart. 
So, how many of us can stand here and say we're not really guilty of murder? No hands. Good. I like that. <laughs> so, Ephesians 2, 2 through 3, this was your life. But not like the TV show, you know, where they play the highlight reel of all the good things you did and all the good things that happened. This was the fulfilling of the lust of your flesh and living according to the prince of the power of the air with no restraint. We had become children of wrath in that point in our lives because we were living in continual disobedience. Now, for those of us who remember, wrath is anger with a judgment behind it. Okay? We were children of judgment because of our choices. We chose it. So no one can look at it and say, well, I just made a mistake because if I had known better, well, no, you did know better. And you still chose to do it. And that's why you're children of judgment, or were children of judgment. I hope everyone in here was a child of judgment. If not, talk to me afterwards. So no one can blame God for our choices. We chose the sin, and we chose the death. Now we need saving. So how does that all work? We're going to sort of touch on this today, and then we're going to touch on it a lot more next week. At this point, we are like Jesus on the cross. Once we have died in our spiritual function, we are just like Jesus was on the cross when the Father and the Holy Spirit separated their presence and connection from him. Dead. Not roadkill dead. Because we're still alive, we're still doing things, but we're dead in our function, dead in our tuning, dead in our connection to heaven and all the power there. And the difference between us and Jesus was our choice. Jesus didn't choose the sin, we did. God had to turn his back on Jesus in order for him to become sin for us. We turned our back on God. We chose to walk away and go do whatever the heck we wanted. And it doesn't even matter if you remember the incident. The point is, it happened. If it didn't happen, we wouldn't be here having this discussion now. In fact, a lot of the Bible would be very, very, very different from what it is today. So as an illustration, here we are, coming into the world as babies. We've got this wonderful connection to God going on. Then we go through life, and we grow up into these however old, we don't know, and you still have this wonderful connection to God, and there's an innocence there, and a purity, and a greatness there. And then sin comes along, and we, in our infinite wisdom, choose the sin. Because we want what we want. So what happens at that point is, we lose the connection that we had with God, and now all we have a connection with is the sin. And a better way of illustrating this would be, you had a spirit that was connected to God, and it was in a body that was filled with sin. Then you came along and chose the sin, and your spirit died. And all of a sudden, sin moved into your spirit, and you're dead in your function. At that point in time, you are cut off from all the good things and all the kingdom and all the glory and all the righteousness and the purity. All you have 
is the kingdom of sin, the kingdom of the prince of the power of the air. So now you're dead in your spiritual function. And from there we have two choices to make. And realistically, these are the two biggest choices you will make in your entire life. I don't care what anyone tells you about careers, college, marriage, relationships, cars, video games, computer systems, doesn't matter. These two are the biggest choices you're ever going to make. You're either going to go find Jesus and fix the problem, or you're going to go it on your own and try to do it by good works. It is terrifying the number of people who try to go it alone and do it by good works. Only one of these works. But first, let's examine the condition. We have to deal with the issue of sin before we can actually deal with the issue of sin. We have to understand what it's doing to us and how we got there before we can actually fix the problem. So in Romans 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone. Nobody's exempt. This is why I can say confidently, without exception, 10 out of 10 people fail to walk righteously and in purity from the time they're born until the time they die. Right here, Romans 3.23. All have sinned. And it was your first choice that did it. And sin cannot exist in the presence of God. All of our actions are tainted by this. There is nothing you can do in your life before Christ that will not be tainted by sin. All of your good works will be tainted by sin. All of your good choices will be tainted by sin. Every single charitable organization you join and participate with will be tainted by sin. Sure, they're great works. Sure, people are benefiting from them. But ultimately, it's still sin. So moving on into John three fourteen through 17. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so, the Son of Man must be lifted up. I'm going to highlight a few words as we go along here, because these are the words that we need to really catch and pay attention to. That whoever believes into him should not perish, but have everlasting life, or eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes into him should not perish, but have everlasting life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that through him now this is not working for me there we go didn't send them into the world to condemn the world but that through him the world might be saved so here's some stuff we need to pay attention to the whoever it's a Greek word Pass means everyone, all, as many, including everything. There are no exceptions. So if you ever run across someone that says, well, you don't know what I've done. God can't accept me. Do you see that right there? That Greek word pass says whoever, everyone, including everything. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you said. He came and did the sacrifice for everyone. This includes Adolf Hitler. I kid you not. He killed my ancestors. Doesn't matter. If he had chosen to stop what he was doing, repent of his sins, and ask for forgiveness, guess where he would be right now? Heaven. Because 
it doesn't matter how horrible a person you are. Ultimately, the sacrifice was for everyone. The next thing we we're going to pay attention to is for God so loved the whole world. I mean, he sent his son because he loved the world so that whoever, again, we're, that's the same word as pass, believes, that's the word, Greek word for pistoi, 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 sorry, okay, and that is faith. Whoever has the faith into him should not perish or die. That is that spiritual death that we're ta always talking about where you're going to hell. It's eternal separation from God, but have everlasting life. That's the Greek word zoe, which means living, being alive, filled with vitality. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, as a lot of people accuse the church of all the time. And don't get me wrong, I know there are some churches out there that do just that. But that's not what God sent his son here for. But he sent his son that anyone in the world through him might be saved. He did this because of John 3.16. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So every, I hear this question all the time. If God is good, why doesn't he just take everyone? Just take everyone to heaven. If he's so good and so powerful, he can just take everyone to heaven. So, get that all the time, right? Well, it's called free will. Believe it or not, if he chose to take you and drag you into heaven, and you have not accepted his son, and you have not accepted the sacrifice he made, and you have not agreed with him about your sin, it's completely against your free will. And then everyone says, but nobody wants to go to hell. Really? Then why are you rejecting him right now? If you didn't want to go to hell, you wouldn't be arguing with me about the point. You would just say, oh, there's another way. Let's do this other way, because that sounds like a good idea. It's not that he's, not, it's not that he's incapable of taking us to heaven against our will. It's that he's more respectful than you are. And it, this is like not even a joke. This is serious. God is more of a respectful individual than any other person I've ever met. He'll respect your free will to go do whatever the heck it is you want. And he won't stop you. But the problem is that death cannot exist in his presence. He is life. And for death to be in his presence, it would be completely and utterly obliterated. This is one of the reasons why when we accept Christ, that sin is pushed out of our spirit. And now it's just in our bodies, in our soul. Because death cannot reside in the same place as life. And that's the reason why the Father had to leave the Son on the cross. Because death could not enter into Jesus unless the Father had separated himself from Jesus, and the Spirit had to go with him. There could be no connection to life in order for Jesus to become death. I was swipe the wrong way. So Jesus couldn't become sin any other way. So the question is, how do you bring death into heaven? The answer is, you don't. You can't. So if you choose the death, or such say, we have chosen the death, intentionally of our own accord. Now, 
we have to choose the life. But, whoa. <laughs> but the question comes, what if you die in your death? I like that statement. What if you die in your death? Your spirit has to go somewhere. It can't just go to heaven. It can't just sit here. It doesn't just go away. So in life, you rejected Christ. And God will respect that choice. Now, I know that most of what I'm teaching here is to people who have already believed into Christ for salvation. Still, we need to have a grasp on it. So, he left it in your arrogant, self-righteous hands to make the choice. To make that decision. And this is not a joke either. Because we, we say this. We, how many times, for those of us who are... We're old enough to remember when we got saved. How many times did we say, anything but Jesus? I said it. There was a point where I said, anything but Jesus. Any religion but Jesus. I said it. I was there. I tried and worked on through and did most of the major world religions before I came to Christ. Been there. Any lifestyle but Jesus. We'll be better people. We'll just do better things. We'll go out and join more charitable organizations. We'll feed more homeless people. We'll not go out there and sleep with 85 men or 85 women. We'll just we'll not smoke as much. We'll not drink as much. Any lifestyle except for having to choose Jesus. Any good works but not Jesus. Because the bottom line of it all is just don't make me change. I don't want to have to change. I want to do the things that I want to do. And I don't want to have to submit to somebody else. I don't want to have to give up my authority. I am God. I am all-powerful. I can make right choices on my own. I don't need somebody else to tell me how to do it. I'm smart enough. I have a master's degree in psychology. I'm smarter than everybody on the planet. I know some people who are like that. <laughs> but, if I encounter suffering, if I encounter hardship, then all of a sudden, it's God's fault. It's God's fault that I'm suffering. If God was so good, then why, why am I suffering? Well, if you were, were, if you were such a wonderful person, why would you reject him? Fair question. I feel it is. He made us the most powerful beings in creation next to himself. And that's true. We are more powerful than the angels in many, many respects. They do what we tell them to do. Now, mind you, that's only after the heaven has told us what to tell them to do. <laughs> They're not subject to our every whim and will. But when we've been given judicial authority from the court of heaven and been told to accomplish something, now we have the judicial authority and ruling to tell them when to go do stuff and what to do. That will never involve smiting your enemies. Just, just so we're clear on that. I don't want anybody thinking like, oh, well, if I get a judicial ruling, I can go smite my enemies. You'll never get that. <laughs> 
So we consciously rejected him, and we believe that we have it figured out. I'm smart. I can do this on my own. We reject religion, in air quotes, even though realistically we're worshiping ourselves, which makes us our own religion. And we reject the relationship with God. And then we have the audacity to get upset with him because life's not working. I mean, how dare he? He set things up in order. He set things up in, in, in function. And then we chose to run the car without motor oil. And then the engine seized up. And it's all God's fault. Because I didn't put motor oil in it. It's all your fault. That's our argument. That is literally every person's argument. You know, my brother committed suicide and it's all God's fault. Well, was your brother running the car without motor oil? Then it's not God's fault. He had a choice to make. And he chose no oil for the engine. And then the engine broke. And now for a note on hell. Because I hear this all the time where people are saying, Oh, well... If, if God is such a loving God, then why would he make a place for him to send people that didn't obey him? Matthew 25, 41. Then he will say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for who? The devil and his angels. Hell was never meant for us. It had not been prepared for us. That was not part of the original plan. When Satan rebelled and he took a third of heaven with him, God had a holding place for them because they were rebellious. And he prepared hell for them. Okay. The point that we're trying to point out here is that hell was not prepared for them. Hell was not prepared for humans. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. So we weren't supposed to be there. That wasn't part of the original plan. So we're supposed to be with God. That's the original plan. Also, originally, we weren't supposed to die, but we chose sin. And God still went out of his way to give up his own son to make sure that we could still be with him. Because that's the original plan. So hell wasn't meant for us. The problem here is that when God makes a spirit, he does not just destroy it. He's not going to go through and say, Oh, well, you've sinned. Bye. You're gone. Toodaloo. Wiped out of existence. Spirits are eternal. From the moment of creation to the moment your physical body dies, your spirit will be around. And he will not destroy it. So that means it has to go somewhere after the physical body dies. So you have rejected God in heaven. So now... That leaves one place for your spirit, and that is, ultimately, hell. You'll get there. The final day of judgment, if you really want it, you'll get there. But the price for you to get out of it had already been paid. So, you rejected it because asking you to change was just too much. Too, too far a bridge to cross. Too wide a channel to swim change give up my my individual godhood stop worshiping myself get, get submit to somebody else are, are you joking no no we're not 
So there you are, in your death, body filled with sin, spirit filled with sin. When you die, you have an issue because the only place your soul can go at the moment, your spirit and soul can go at the moment, is that because hell has not been opened, it's still closed for business, because final judgment has not come, and death and Hades has not given up its dead, your spirit and your soul winds up in Sheol where you will be consumed by your lusts. Whatever you lusted for in life, that is what you will be consumed by in death. Until judgment. And you'll never get satisfaction. You'll never get the things you were looking for. So you will live for however long it is until judgment day. There are people that have been there for hundreds of years. There are people that have been there for thousands of years. And there are people that have been there for tens of thousands of years suffering. Always lusting. Always desiring. Never being fulfilled. But God won't go against your free will. Because this is actually what you chose. And once you get there, you still wouldn't change your mind. Because you, you doggedly fought tooth and nail from the time you were born and chose sin the first time to the time you died, whatever age that was, you doggedly chose to reject the goodness of God. And every person is born with a conscience. Every person knows that there is good. Everybody knows the difference between right and wrong. If a kid in the deepest, darkest of Africa can hear from God in a village that is run by witch doctors and witchcraft and leave his village and follow the leading of God to a Christian who leads him to salvation, there is not a person in these United States that is without excuse. If a person in the darkest jungles of Africa who is apprenticed to the idol maker of their village understands that he is greater than the idols he is making and has to flee his village because he knows that not worshipping these idols would result in death and wanders in the jungle for several weeks to try to find this God who must have created him. There is nobody in the civilized world that has an excuse. No one will be able to stand before God and say, I didn't know. Because you did. And you willfully chose to ignore it. Because you have it figured out. So even at this point, even though God loves you, even though God wants you to be with him, he will not go against your free will. Because taking you out of there and dragging you into heaven would be against your free will. Even after the death. And you had a lifetime to make that choice. However long that lifetime would be, and some, some people are shorter than others. And it only takes a minute to make that choice. To humble yourself long enough to say... You know what? I can't do this on my own. I don't know better. And without God, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> so, because it really does bear repeating, Matthew 5 or 25 verse 41, then he will say to 
Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. There's a word I want you to catch here, because it really changes how you think about those with Christ and those without Christ. And even how you think of yourself before you had Christ. That word cursed is the Greek word kateromai. means just that, cursed. But when you start following it down to its root words, what it really means is to curse oneself with a prayer. So this passage has nothing to do with God cursing them. He's just making a statement. Depart from me, you cursed. Depart from me, you who have cursed yourself with a prayer to remain without salvation. If you start breaking it down, that's really what it boils down to, is they have chosen by faith to not have salvation. Believe it or not, faith is functional for both directions. You can faith yourself away from salvation to never have it, or you can faith yourself into salvation to have it. It's all a function of what you want. It's all a function of what you believe in. And it really boils down to a form of prayer. It's not a set of words that you speak. It's not a mantra that you chant. It is something that you believe into with your whole heart. I have this figured out. I'm smart enough to get there on my own. I'm a nice enough person to do enough good works to outweigh the bad that I've done. Never mind the fact that stealing that pen from corporate just got you the eternal sentence to the slammer. <laughs> I mean, that's really what we're looking at here. It's just the, the one little action. It's just, just, it was just cookies. Come on. It was just cookies. But that was enough. So first, we enter into sin. And then our spirit dies. It stays that way by faith. And then we get mad at God. Therefore, there is only one thing in our way. Can anyone guess what that is? You have that look on your face that says you have an answer. Pride. Our pride. We think we're sufficient. We think we know better. We think we're good enough. Now, I will say that different people are different in their response and have different degrees of pride. In my wife's case, she was really young, heard the message, decided I need that. Then when she got a little older, she was like, you know what? I don't really remember this for myself. I'm going to make sure of it for myself. And then there's this arrogant, stubborn fool who fought and fought and fought and fought until the age of 17, almost 18 years old, and I literally had to get to the point where I was about ready to commit suicide. In fact, if God had not intervened that very night when he did, I would have been dead that same night. I would have been in hell. Because I stubbornly believed I could do it on my own. 
I stubbornly believed that I didn't need God. Not only did I not need God, I hated God. God was a, a, waste, a waste of my time, a pain in my butt, and just useless religion. I was that guy. Most of this teaching comes from my experience. Most of the people that I hear saying these things are just saying words that I had had come out of my mouth. I know these arguments. They were mine. Which is why when people say, Oh, well, I just think that God's not really as good as he says he is, because if he was that good, he could just take everybody to heaven. I'm just, oh, God, no, just don't say that. <laughs> I've said that. That's dumb. <laughs> because Jesus paid it all for us. There's nothing that was left for us to work out. There was nothing left for us to do except to believe into him, have faith into him, and ask for his forgiveness. Which actually means you have to believe you've done wrong. And then you have to believe that you're not good enough to fix the wrong. So you're right back to dealing with your pride. And everybody said, no. <laughs> Until one point or another. It requires humility to ask for salvation. It really does. It requires you coming to the end of yourself and realizing... I can't do this on my own. I'm not that good. I'm not that strong. I'm not that powerful. For me, it took being in a, in a constant conversation with three demonic spirits and coming to the point of suicide to realize I didn't have the ability or the power or the wisdom or the strength. And none of the religions I had tried getting involved with had that ability either. Because ultimately, they all boil down to the same thing. My works and my efforts. And I wasn't good enough. It takes humility to submit to authority. And I would have to say that that was the day that I learned that submission is not as bad as it seems. It really isn't. Especially when you know that the person you're submitting to genuinely does love you. He's got your best interest at heart. Always has, always will. So... Why do we fight him? Because we don't believe it. We don't believe he wants our best. All we hear is, Jesus? Oh, no, no, you mean religion. Jesus? Oh, no, 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 you mean organized religion. Jesus? No, 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 you mean giving up my free will and being part of this these mind slaves that believe in this, this sky fairy who just magically does... No, 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 I don't need that. Other arguments I've heard. <laughs> So is everybody starting to see a pattern here? The only thing that keeps us away from salvation is our pride. It affects our choice for salvation. And here's the catch. As Christians, it can affect our maturity. Now, the maturity can also be from a lack of knowledge because every one of us has growing to do. And if you're not in a situation or under a church or in some sort of teaching format or studying it out for yourself and really all of the above where you are getting a continual input of information and wisdom from people who have gone through the fire, you're hindering your own growth because you're not learning the way you ought to be. Now, yes, you can stay at home and you can study out the scriptures and that is good and that is excellent. But there's always going to be somebody out there who has more experience and more wisdom than you have because they've been alive longer or they've been around a few more mountains than you have. 
Some of them have been alive as long as you have been. But they just know how to go around the mountains faster than you. <laughs> so they're, you know, they may be one mountain ahead of you, but they're still ahead of you. There's wisdom to be gained there, and there's maturity to be gained there. But typically what keeps us back is our pride. So, you know, and this, this is something I'm familiar with because I've done it in my own life, but God tells us to do something or to change something. And what do we do? Cross our arms and refuse. I'm not going to do it. I just, no, no, no. I don't want to. And why? Because it takes humility to submit. That's really all it boils down to. It just takes humility to submit to it. We don't really believe that when God tells us to change something, that it's going to be for our benefit. So we sit there and it's like, stubbornly, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to hold my breath until you don't make me do it. <laughs> I've been here. There are still moments when I am there. It's like God will tell me to do something. Like, no, I don't want to. That just that just does not sound pleasant. I don't think that's going to be fun. Nope, we're not going to do it. And that might go on for a little bit. And then I'm like, you know, I know, I know you love me. I know you want what's best for me. Okay, fine. Let's do this. <laughs> but the good news is, that doesn't make him mad at us. Because he loves us. And he knows that our stubborn refusal and pride is just slowing us down and hindering us. And ultimately, he knows that when you come around, and most of us will come around, that you're going to get it together and do what he said. And you're going to see how good it was. And every time you submit to that process, it's going to build your trust. It's going to build your understanding of his love. And it's going to wear down your pride to where you can trust him and say, you know what? I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to be in control. I'm going to give this over to you and I'm going to step into what you told me to step into and I'm going to walk it out because I know you've got my back. He's just waiting there to show us love. And then we get angry because he told us to do something and we didn't want to do it. And then we impute that anger on him and then think he's angry with us. And the whole time he's just like, guys, come on. I'm, I'm trying to help you. No, stop putting your head in the fireplace. Stop it. <laughs> so what happens when we resist him? You start walking in death. Because when you resist him, you have to actually step outside of Jesus to resist him. Because if you're in, in Jesus, wherever he goes, you're going. So if Jesus goes over here, you're going over here because you want to stay in Jesus. If Jesus goes over here, you're going to go over here because you want to stay in Jesus. If Jesus goes over there and you're like, oh, that doesn't look fun. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to hang out here, Lord. I'll, I'll be here when you get back. Yeah. You had to step outside of him to resist him. So you start walking in death. And you continue to walk in death for however long it takes you to realize it's not fun out here on our own. It's not fun being outside of Jesus. It's actually kind of exhausting. It wears you down. And all the Father wants for us is, is life. That's it. He wants our good. He wants our benefit. And we're, we're stubborn. <laughs> so the next time he tells you to do something... Ask him why. 
Ask him why until you get to the point where you know that when he tells you to do something, you can trust him. And you can jump on it and just be like, you know what? I don't even need to ask you why because I know from my experience that you've got this and you've got me. And I trust you. And if you ask him, he'll show you. Most of the time. Sometimes he'll just simply tell you, move now. And if he tells you that, you're best to just get up and move now. He's not telling you to do something for no reason. There will always be a reason behind it. And if he's not sitting there having a full discussion with you, and he's just simply saying, get up and do it now. Have the faith to trust him to do it, because if you don't, there might be damage coming up behind you. And he's trying to get you out of the way. So to finish, my favorite phrase, relationship, relationship, relationship. It all comes back to relationships. So why do we need to know about our death, our spiritual death? And this is only our first spiritual death. This is the spiritual death where we are separated from God. This is the spiritual death where all the bad stuff starts to take shape in our lives. This is the spiritual death where our bad habits begin to form in our lives until such a time as we meet our second spiritual death, which we'll be talking on next week. But as we are now, we don't have to continue in death. I see that typo there. <laughs> we, we don't have to continue in it. We have, all of us in this room, probably most of the people that are going to be listening to this podcast, we have this new life. We've encountered our second spiritual death. We've encountered our new birth. We are now walking in a spiritual life. And we don't have to walk outside of Jesus. We don't have to continue in the death that we have chosen. Just because in the past we were bad people doesn't mean we have to continue as bad people. Remember, we died to our sin. Just as Christ died to sin. We were crucified in the same manner. We were raised in the same manner in glory. We died to it. Let us live in Christ. Submit to his authority. I always have to point that out. I have to word that phrase every single time. Submit to his authority because it's too easy to get people out there that will teach you, submit to my authority. No, 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 no. If your authority doesn't line up with what he's saying, nobody should be submitting to your authority. With that said, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had together. Lord, we do thank you that you have paid the price for our sin, you've paid the price for our salvation, and you have paid the price for our new life. So Lord, we thank you that you have taken the time to actually show us in your word how that death worked. And Lord, that it wasn't the end of us. We give you the praise for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So next week, on Sunday, we will be teaching about our life, our second death and our resurrection.